I don't know, that was kind of a nice, I, I think the campuses did the same thing. That was kind of a nice, more mellow, kind of chill vibe, right? Right before the message, come thou fount. We have discovered that many of you, including me, we love the old hymns. Can I get an amen? There's something about them. They remind us of times, maybe we went to church with uh, grandparents or parents or whatever, and it's just really, really Good. Hey, welcome to New Hope Church. If you're a guest here, my name is Benji. So glad that you are here with us today. We're one church in many locations, which means right now there are nine campuses throughout the Carolinas and into Kenya. And I just want on the count of three for all the campuses, not just Durham, but for all the campuses to give it up and show some love for the New Hope movement. One, two, three. Come on. <laughs> I think any time we can celebrate the church and what God is doing in and through us, we should. Can I get an amen? amen. Hey, I hope you're having a great summer. And uh, just a few housekeeping items before we dig into um, an incredibly important topic today. Guys, and I know I'm always fired up about what I'm about to teach on, but let me just tell you. Today has the potential to prevent your life from becoming a statistic, the potential of what I'm going to talk about today. If you will heed God's word, if you will apply it, will protect you in more ways than we can even begin to imagine. But I'll get to that in a moment. We have a new series coming up August 12th. And it is titled, Jesus Said What? Everybody say that with me. Jesus Said Oh, you see, you did it. Okay, you, you got the little, little attitude there on the end. Jesus said, what? And we're gonna be studying some, some of the most, um, I don't know, radical, crazy uh, sayings of Jesus. And uh, we're getting your input. We've been doing that. Some of you have gone online and already let us know. But you, I'm gonna send you an email this week if you're in our database. I hope you are. I'm gonna send you an email with like 20 different verses of things that Jesus said. And if you will, please vote which ones you would like for me to talk about. Deal? And the second thing, housekeeping, is September. I want you to go ahead and make this note. Pull out your, your day timers or your phone or whatever. Just mark it in your mind. September 9th, Columbia Campus is taking on new leadership and new direction. We're excited about what is happening in Columbia. But then on Monday, September 10th, this is big news, we are doing for the first time ever a weeknight worship celebration. And it's going to be on Monday, September 10th. When is it, church? Monday, September 10th. I hope you'll make a note. And I hope you will start thinking about maybe becoming a part of that worship celebration at the Durham campus. I know this is Durham campus specific, but some of you at the other campuses might have to work on Sundays and you'll be able to come right on over here on Monday nights. Same worship service, same message, all that kind of stuff. Monday, September 10th. Really, really excited about that. Last housekeeping, just want to remind you, our celebrations on Sunday are adult-oriented worship celebrations, which means your children at all of our campuses, not just during hot and heavy, but particularly during hot and heavy, but every Sunday should be where church? Where? Hopetown. You got it. Hey, I want to talk to you today about appetites. I want to talk to you about managing your appetites. I don't know if you've ever given much thought to your appetites, 
But God gave us our desires, most of them anyway. God gave us our appetites and our desires, but sin has a tendency of distorting and destroying our appetites. Have you ever thought about this? Wouldn't it be great if you could go back two years? Let's widen it a little bit more. What if you could go back 10 years and give yourself some advice? Mm. What would you say to yourself? Oh, Lord, help me. What would you say about some of the biggest mistakes you've made or I have made? I want to talk to you about today, looking into the future, looking at your tomorrows and figuring out today how you're going to live your life so that your tomorrows are full of blessings and favor and the destiny that God has for you. I have been doing a lot of travel. Thank God it's over. But in the last month, um, I have been in many different countries. I just returned yesterday from being in uh, Bolivia. See, I got to think about it for a moment. I got to actually remember where I was yesterday. In the last four weeks alone, I have gone to Guatemala. I've spent time in Paris. I went to Barcelona to be with my daughter on a work-study program. Then I was in Bolivia, which I just returned from yesterday. So when I touched down yesterday, I'm starting to feel like I don't even know where I am or what time it is. Starting to wonder what happened to yesterday or what happened to tomorrow. And I feel like I'm losing some days. I don't even feel like I know what, the, what is today. Oh, it's Sunday, yeah. So in less than a month, stick with me here for a moment. I have a reason for telling you this. In less than a month, I have gone from North America to Central America to Europe, back to North America to South America, and back to North America again. Everybody say, help him, Lord. I am so glad I'm not going to be traveling any time on an airplane. My head is starting to spin, but that got me thinking about something. Did you know that in the north, the international date line swings to the east through the Bering Strait and then west past the Aleutian Islands in order to keep Alaska, hello, part of the United States and Russia on the opposite side of the line. Check this out. The Dateline literally passes equidistance between the two Diomede Islands, the little Diomede Island, the U.S., and the big Diomede Island, Russia, at a distance of about one mile. Now, here's what's cool about all of that. You can stand on one island and literally look to your left and see yesterday. And you can stand on that same island and literally look to your right and see tomorrow. And as I was thinking about that on the plane, I started imagining what would it look like? How helpful would it be if we could stand here today? I know we could stand here all day and look at all of yesterday's. Let's forget about that for today. But what would it look like if we could stand here today, wherever you are seated right now, and look towards your tomorrows and make decisions that will line up and place you right where you want to be tomorrow. 
five years down the road, 10 years down the road, and you can actually prepare for that right here and now. Some of you have heard me say this before. Everybody ends up somewhere, but very few people end up somewhere on purpose. Open up your Bibles. Genesis 25, 19 through 34. An amazing passage of scripture that is just dripping with God's wisdom. If you love the word of the Lord, or maybe you don't know if you love it yet, but you want to hear from the Lord today, let me hear you say amen. amen. Go ahead and stand to your feet. Let's stand in honor of God's word today. Again, Genesis 25, 19 through 24. This is the account of the family line of Abraham's, Abraham's son, Isaac. Abraham became the father of who, church? Isaac. And Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah, daughter of Bethuel the Aramean from Paddan Aram and sister of Laban the Aramean. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was childless. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. The Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb and two people from within you will be destroyed. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her to give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment, so they named him who? Esau. After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel, so he was named Jacob. Now, Jacob, you might recall, uh, means trickster. Named Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. Verse 27, the boys grew up and Esau became a skillful hunter, a man of the open country, while Jacob was content to stay at home among the tents. Isaac, who had a taste for wild game, loved Esau, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, listen closely, Jacob was cooking some stew. Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That is why he was also called Edom. Jacob replied, the old trickster, first sell me your birthright. Look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is the birthright to me? But Jacob said, Swear to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. May Almighty God add his anointing and favor to the reading and the hearing 
of the word of God. Amen? You may be seated. I'm telling you, there is so much divine wisdom in this passage, so much preventative care, so much proactive discipleship that you can take regarding your tomorrows. The question is, will you heed it? Have you ever been hungry? Any of you hungry right now? Sorry, can't help you. Anybody like some beef stew? I don't know if the cameras can do their work and see. Oh, glory to God. There's a pea and a potato and a, let me get that carrot, and a carrot and a piece of beef. So Esau, mm, that's good. Esau comes in and he's hungry. You might say he was hangry. Any of you ever been hangry? Any of you know what hangry is? Hangry is, you're so stinking hungry, you're angry. And I don't know if you know this, but like when you're hangry, you'll do anything for food. And, and, and ladies, you just need to know that. We, men, we need food. And I know ladies, you're the same way, but you're trying to figure out your man. Most men only have three appetites. Sleep, sex, and food. And, uh, and brother said, amen. We should have more and we're working on it, but, but Esau comes in, man, and, and he's hangry. And he gives up his birthright for a bowl of stew. Now, you might not even start to really get that yet because when we say birthright in the 21st century, we're not really, really even sure what that means. I cannot even begin to overstate to you what the birthright meant, how significant it was in the days of the Old Testament. If you had your birthright, if you had the birthright of your family from your father, you immediately, immediately became the wealthiest offspring. You immediately had all authority in the family when your dad died. You immediately were the judge. The birthright was so significant. And Esau, this is the key thing you need to know going into this message. Esau gave all of that away. The wealth, the authority, the power, the ability to judge, all of the influence. He gave it all away for a little bit of stew. He gave up the future. He gave up God's destiny for him for a short-term fix today. And how many of you have done the same? And how many of you will do the same unless you listen closely? I'm telling you, I'm telling you, I'm telling you, this message has the potential to set the trajectory of your life. And because I love you and I want what is best for you, I'm going to just teach very plainly to you about making decisions today that will impact your tomorrows. We might call this the Esau syndrome. I got it up there on the screen for you, the Esau syndrome. Let's read it out loud. When we trade away God's lifelong blessings in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. 
one more time really strong because I can tell that the weight of this content is starting to settle in over us today, which I think is wonderful, but read it with me really loud and strong. Ready, go. When we trade away God's lifelong blessings in order to satisfy a short-term appetite. This Esau story and the wisdom that is in it was so impactful and profound for the Hebrew Bible, the Old Testament, so impactful and profound for the narrative of Israel that the New Testament would talk about it many, many years later. You can turn there or you can just make this note, Hebrews 12, 16 and 17. We're now in the New Testament. This is what the Bible says. Let's read this out loud. Ready? Go. See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Let's continue. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. Even though he sought the blessing with what? He could not change what he had done all if I could tell you about the times I have sat across the table from men and sometimes women or been in groups and I've heard people share and with tears in their eyes they wanted so desperately to get the blessing back sometimes it's a spouse sometimes it's a child that will no longer talk to you sometimes it's a job Sometimes it's the contentment in the soul. And I've seen them with tears in their eyes and they so desperately want the blessing back. But even with tears, quite often these kinds of mistakes, you will never ever be able to step back into the divine destiny that God was calling you to. Now, you can have a different future going forward. And I'll talk to you at the end because some of you are sitting here today and here's what you're gonna be thinking all, all morning long. Oh, I wish I'd have heard that 10 years ago. Because you ate the stew. You ate the stew and the blessing's gone. Now, God still has a future for you. But sometimes the consequences are irreparable. Sometimes you can't get the spouse back. Sometimes, unfortunately, the child won't talk to you. Sometimes the business deal is gone. Sometimes you're a pastor, and Lord, this is happening all over our country. Sometimes you're a pastor, and you won't get that church back because you let Satan in hell's kitchen come in and start to stir and tempt you with a stew, and you settled for a temporary fix. You settled for a temporary feeling that will now have long-term repercussions. And this text in Genesis 25 and in Hebrews comes to us today to say, pay close attention. Don't you know, church, that Esau later regretted that impulsive act? Don't you know, church, that Esau wanted God's blessing back? But it was just too Late And again, because I love you and because I love my family, 
And in the right way, I hope I love myself. I'm preaching to myself today. And I'm actually teaching you something that I'm so grateful that my student, Pastor Mark Yoder, taught me many, many years ago. I also heard an incredible message at the Catalyst Conference in Atlanta one time. And between Mark Yoder discipling me one-on-one and that message, I'm teaching you today what I've been trying to live out in my life for 20 years now. But here's the key thing that I want you to know. You have the power to protect your tomorrows, your future, if you learn the truths in these biblical passages and learn to live wisely and carefully when, church? Now. Write that down. It might be in your teaching notes. If not, jot that down. You have the power. You have the power. God gives you choice. God gives you free will. We have the power to protect our tomorrows. If today, if we let today be a defining moment and we learn these biblical truths and we learn to live wisely and carefully Now, Esau came in and he gave it all away, gave his future away for a short-term fix. Don't don't you know he was was hungry four hours later? I I mean, that's the thing about appetites. Write this down. Now, this is probably not in your teaching notes. I don't even know if it's in my notes. Appetites, appetites only want more. Have you noticed that about appetites? How many of you have ever eaten a lot of food? Come on. Usually happens on Thanksgiving for most of us. And you, you, in my family, they used to unbutton, un, unbutton their pants. <laughs> I know, it's, it's issues. And, 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 and how many times have you ever said this? I'm never going to eat again. <laughs> Come on, let's be honest, we're in church. How many of you have said that? I never want to eat anything again. Right, right, I'll, yeah. Six hours later, what are we doing? Eating, back in the kitchen. Again, again. Appetites are not bad. God gave us appetites. Sin destroyed our appetites. The question for us today is, how are we going to manage our appetites? Remember this verse from last week? You remember this? Read it out loud. You read so well last time. Ready? All of our campuses, go. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. We studied that last week. And oh, my Lord, if you missed last week's message, go online or go to our resource centers, particularly if you are a man. Let's continue. Go. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, Because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And you, I just want to be a prophet and warn you. If you don't learn to manage your appetites, your desires, then you will join the rest of the statistics and the pastors and the husbands and the wives and the young people. And you too will be suffering because you settle for a short-term bowl of stew, an emotion, a feeling, or whatever. And you sacrifice the destiny and the calling God has on your Life, Listen to me, please. You don't want what the devil has got in your crock pot. You don't want it. Right now in your life, he wants to kill, steal, and destroy from you. That's what the Bible says. 
And right now, he's thinking of ways that he can cook something up in hell's kitchen so that the temptation, that the aroma, that the lure, that the desire to have a short-term fix will make you fall prey. And you will live to regret it. If you haven't started taking notes by now, oh my Lord, grab your pen and jot some of these things down right here. Critical truths about your appetites, about your appetites and about mine. When your stomach or your soul gets empty, your standard gets lower. When your stomach or your soul gets empty, your standard gets lower. <laughs> Simple everyday illustration will work. How many of you, um, how many of you grocery shop? Show of hands, show of hands, show of hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, how many of you know that you should never grocery shop when you're really hungry? <laughs> I don't do a lot of grocery shopping. I don't want to act like I'm that guy, but I do go to the grocery store every now and then. And it's usually when there's no food in the house. And it's usually when I'm really hungry. And Amy might be traveling or something. And so I'll go to the grocery store. And if I go to the grocery store when I'm hungry, man, it's horrible. Like I'm buying Lucky Charms for the kids. We always drink skim milk. I'm buying whole milk, Fruit Loops. I'm buying all, and it's bad. And then Amy comes home and she's all mad at me. You, you, when, you, when you're hungry or when your stomach, and the point is when your soul gets empty, your standards get lower which is all the more reason why you want to make sure you're continuing to fill your soul up with God's word. You want to remember to be a person of prayer. You want to be in church every Sunday of your life hearing the word of God preached to the people of God in the house of God. Can I get an amen? You want to learn to live a lifestyle of worship because when you get empty, again, your standards drop. It's harder to see the invisible when you're preoccupied with the physical. The same is true for the devil. He has impeccable timing. He will come at you when you are at your weakest. Listen to me, guys, gals. He will come at you when you're sleep deprived. He will come at you when you haven't been feasting on the word. He will come at you when you're in a bad season which is why you gotta make decisions now that impact your tomorrow. That takes us to number two. Before you act in the immediacy of now, think about your tomorrows. I know it's hard, but listen to me. Please, you want to develop the ability, the discipline, when the smell is waffling by your nose, when that flirtatious temptation comes your way, when you find yourself in a situation that you know it's not good, you want to, before you act in the immediacy of now, you want to think about, you want to call a timeout. And you want to think about your tomorrows. I know it's hard, but if you will just develop that one discipline, Esau should have stepped back from the table, gotten some perspective. Scripture says that there is always a way to escape out of a sinful situation, but you won't see it if your pants are already unbuttoned. Hello. And I don't mean from the table. You won't see it if you've already signed on the dotted line of that bad deal. 
You won't see it if you walk out now from that marriage. All because you're in a bad, listen, listen, listen. Bad, but temporary predicament. Slow down. Clear your head. Realize that it is not about just what is happening now. It's not about just what you are feeling now. It's about your future. Number three, oh my. Write this down. Learn to manage your God-given appetites. I'm just, I'm just telling you like it is today. Call me a prophet if you want. Learn to manage your God-given appetites or you will probably lose your God-given destiny. This is so important. Most of your desires are God-given. It's not the appetites that are bad. It's how you manage your desires. Listen, sexual desire is okay. The problem isn't having a sex drive. It's letting your sex drive destroy your life and the relationships that mean so much to you. Wanting to be successful and acquire things in your life is not in and of itself a bad thing. But shortcutting integrity and holiness that will disqualify you from the workplace, or again, pastor, that will make you fall short of being what the Bible says, above reproach, that is what will crash your life. That is what will cause you to kill someone or kill your own dreams or both at the same time. Do you hear what I'm saying, church? Are you picking up what I'm laying down today? This is really, really important stuff. And the time it takes to swipe to the right on your phone, the time it takes to steam up the windows in a parked car, the time it takes to rumple some sheets at a hotel room, you can give up moments that will impact your life for years and you will have tears after tears after tears. I don't know if I've ever said this word before in church, but I'm gonna say it. In the moment, in the short-term moment of a sexual fling and an orgasm. Did he just say that in church? Yeah, go listen to last week's message. <laughs> but come on, come on. The church needs to talk about this stuff. That's our problem. The church has not talked about this stuff for years. So Christians look just like the world. Have you ever thought of how short-term temporary an orgasm is and yet how it can destroy your life for a lifetime? It can circumvent and destroy the love and respect from the people you most desire love and respect. It can cause your kids to resent you forever. All over a short-term sexual fling. You, let, you have to learn to just pause again. Call a timeout. Look at this. Don't just ask 
does this option feel good? Ask, will the future of this option be good? Yeah, it might feel good, but will it be good for you over the long haul? Let me show you something um, that I have kind of developed in my own life to do. Uh, it's called the 10-year test. What's it called? The 10-year test. What the 10-year test is, um, at whenever I am thinking about something or I find myself slipping into a bad place or whatever, I've just learned to ask myself this question. Do I want to endure the consequences of what this action or this thought life or this website or this affair or this fraudulent activity, whatever it is you're dealing with, do I want to endure the consequences of this that will come as a result of this 10 years down the road. You see what that does? That reframes everything. That takes you out of the immediacy and the urgency of that desire that is so strong in you now, but it causes you to think about tomorrow and that will help you make the right decision. Again, appetites only have one word. They only know one word. More. How do you manage those appetites? No appetite is ever fully satisfied if you don't learn to conquer your desires, if you don't learn to manage your desires. Sex outside of marriage, smoking, reckless spending, food gluttony, shady deals. I could go on and on and on, but here is the key. Read this out loud with me. This is, I just want this to settle into your soul. For the rest of your life, you will be tempted to trade what is of greater value later for what seems most enjoyable now. Let's talk about appetites for just a moment. Psychologists say appetites cause lots of things, but here are the three things that, if you read a, a lot on appetites and desires, here are three things that you'll come back to over and over and over. Impact bias. Write that in, impact bias. It's taking a simple appetite like hunger or a desire to be loved or to be respected or to be held and magnifies that out of proportion. It's impact bias. And this is what happens. This is what happens when you get so focused on that thing that you're desiring or that other person or that affair or that food or that money or that whatever. Here's what happens. Your brain lies to you. Your brain tells you that if you will get this thing, if you will get this person, accomplish this thing, you're going to feel on a scale of one to 10, you're gonna feel like an eight plus, nine or 10. It, it lies to you. If you get that now, that temporary fix now, you're gonna feel like an eight, nine or 10. When in reality, and some of you've lived long enough to know this, when in reality, you'll actually feel like a two or three. You know what, you know what this reminds me of? Buyer's remorse. Any of you have ever bought a car, a brand new car? Have any of you ever felt bad about buying that brand new car? I mean, it's so awesome when you drive it off the, the, the dealership, smells good, drives good. 
But then you realize when you drove it off the lot, it probably dropped about $10,000 in value. It's buyer's remorse. That's what impact bias is. Here's the second one, kind of similar, focalism. Psychologists tell us that appetites and desires focus our mind on things and blurs everything else out of perspective. In other words, in the heat of the moment, appetites run amok, cause us to lose sight of everything down the road so that we are only thinking about our unhappiness now and we're only focused on the lie, Satan's a liar. We're only focused on the lie that that decision or that thing or that person or that affair or that whatever will fix it all. It's a lie. Some of you will remember studying this in school. Cognitive dissonance. Cognitive dissonance. In the field of psychology, this is mental discomfort. This is a little bit of maybe what some of you have been feeling as I've been talking today because you know that you're actually enjoying the stew right now. And cognitive dissonance is this mental discomfort or psychological stress experienced by a person who simultaneously holds two or more contradictory beliefs or ideas or values. The occurrence of cognitive dissonance is a consequence of a person performing an action, hello, that contradicts personal beliefs or faith. And if I were to ask a show of hands, how many of you have done that? We would all raise both hands, including me. Amen? We all know the discomfort that comes when you know that you're making decisions and you're engaged in things that don't line up with what you truly believe. Now, time out from our stuff for a moment and just think about the biblical story. There's this formula in the Bible that we see over and over and over, particularly in the Old Testament. It's the God of Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Say it again, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. That was what was on the line. Esau had it all. He could have been remembered in the biblical narrative forever. He could have stepped into receiving all the blessings that his birthright would give him. Check this out. He would have been mentioned in the genealogy and the direct bloodline of Jesus. I put it like this. It could have been, should have been, would have been, have you ever thought about this? God of Abraham, Isaac, and Esau. But instead, because of an inability to manage an appetite, it has forever become God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Do you see what was on the line? Maybe you've heard this before. How many of you have ever heard, uh, uh, learn from your mistakes? Come on, learn from your mistakes. Can, can I tell you what I believe is far better than that? I would rather learn from your mistakes. <laughs> you ever thought about that? I think you got, two, <laughs> you got two choices in life. You're gonna learn from your mistakes, which we should do. But I've always thought, if I can, if I can do it, I, I, I'd rather learn from your mistakes than my mistakes. God's word holds up this story of Esau and Jacob and the birthright so that we might learn from other people's mistakes. 
And the two areas in which you need to be on your guard, I'm just saying it, is around sex and money. This is why I've always tried to do my best. I don't fool around with the honeys or the monies. <laughs> I guess I've never said that to y'all before. Yeah, that's one of my maxims in life, man. I don't mess with the honeys or the monies. For 16 years, I've never counted an offering in this church's life, ever. I don't go near the money. And I am very careful with the honeys. And, and women, it's not, I, 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 get a lot of, I get a lot of pressure about this one, man. I, people beat me up over this one. You've seen my pastoral promise to purity. I don't counsel women alone. I don't counsel women one-on-one. I don't eat with women in restaurants alone. I, I'm a Pharisee about this kind of stuff. But listen, ladies, it's not because I don't trust you. I don't trust us being in the wrong situation. And the Bible tells me to be above reproach. So I want to be careful for what it looks like to everybody else out there. Let me wrap up. Let me wrap up. Write, write this down. Oh, my Lord. And I'm, I'm going to go through these quick, but I know this is going to speak to some of you. Application, three types of courage you must develop to tame your appetites. Okay? Application. Here are three types of courage you must develop, and I use the word must intentionally, you must develop to tame your appetites. Number one, the courage to stay when it is easier to go. Jesus is right. The courage to stay when it's easier to go. Some of you are in a marriage right now and all you think about, talk about focalism, you think all the time about throwing in the towel on your marriage. Listen, nobody ever said it was gonna be easy. Some of you need to develop the courage to stay, stay in that marriage. Unless God has told you clearly to leave that job and go to the next one, stay with that job. Some of you are thinking about jetting on your parenting responsibilities. And when you go home, all you wanna do is kick your feet up and watch TV and forget the kids. No, 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 no. You need to develop the courage to stay, stay. Listen, I know it's easier to go, but you don't want that. Let me flip it. The courage to go, hello, <laughs> when it's easier to stay. You know what I'm talking about? You find yourself in that unfortunate situation. You've met him or you've met her at a location. You've started the flirtatious affair online. You travel a lot and you guys go on business trips together and you got plans to meet later. Run! The Bible says flee from sexual immorality. Run! The courage to go. Get the heck out of Dodge when it would be easier. And come on, I'll admit it. It might feel good temporarily to stay. You get your butt out of that situation now. Or 
You can throw it all away. The courage to ask for help when it would be easier to, hello, pretend that everything is okay. Man, again, last week's message, I talked about this. Some of you just need to come out of the shadows. Jesus said no one lights a lamp and puts a bushel over it. Instead, Jesus says, take the bushel, let the light shine. Something happens when you expose it. What you cover, I said this last week, and this got a lot of traction with a lot of you. What you cover, God will uncover. It will happen. You might, man, you don't know me, man. I got it covered. He lives out of town. Nobody knows. We've been doing this thing for five years. You keep covering it. God will uncover it. But what you uncover, quit pretending, get some help. None of us are perfect. If I haven't told you this before, no perfect people are allowed at this church. (laughs) If that was the case, I couldn't be here. What you uncover though, what you expose with the right people, with the right people, what you expose, what you uncover, God will cover and help you. You might not be able to do away with the consequences of what you've done. I've already talked about that. But God will cover you, listen to me, from this day forward. What if you just did life with some people and you just shared what's going on in your life? What if you left here today and you started making some sound decisions and you started staying if you needed to stay, you started fleeing and going if you needed to go and you actually gathered people around you that you know you can trust and you let us come alongside you and help you. That's my prayer for you. That's my prayer for me. We live in a culture where it's easy to pretend. I've always said this as well. We are a church where you check your mask at the door. None of us are perfect. We all got junk in our trunk. What if we just found that band of brothers, the band of sisters, and we stopped pretending and we let us be the body of Christ for one another and we stopped jeopardizing our future, God's destiny, God's calling on my life tomorrow. And we started letting that impact the decisions and the discipline that we develop today. May that be so in your life. May that be so in my life. In the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Let the church say, amen. Amen. Pray with me. Father, um, a message like this is easier to speak. It's easier said than than it is done, than it is lived out. Father, I felt your Holy Spirit today prompting and prodding and convicting and challenging encouraging 
And God, I pray for every single person at every single campus and all of those who will watch this online. Father, would you minister to them right where they are? If you're here today and you've been convicted and you know, you know, you know the Holy Spirit's been speaking to your heart and you need to repent. Just confess that to God right now and say, Lord, help me turn from this. Help me push the stew away. Help me turn towards you. Help me find that band of brothers or sisters. Help me step into my destiny, into my future. Father, we love you today. We love you because you first loved us. I pray that this message would not end in this moment. I pray that as we go forth from all of the campus locations today, Father God, the Spirit would continue to speak to us as we live out our Sunday afternoon, as we put our heads down on the pillow tonight, as we live out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and the weeks ahead. Father God, let this message germinate. Let us water it. Let us live for you. Not a life of regrets. but a life of honor and glory and integrity where those that know us best <laughs> love and respect us most. We pray it all in the name of Jesus. Amen.